My voice is a little hoarse, probably because it's <laughs> morning time for me. I'm in California right now. This is Kate. This is Reply Guys. We did. We messed up the whole thing. <laughs> we look. We, it's uh, it's hot out there. We're, d- we're trying our best. We're on two different coasts. Uh, Kate just woke up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I I don't have an excuse, but I am also a little foggy. Um. So I've been in California for. A week now, longer than a week, uh, and I'm coming home today, but um, it's been really fun to be out here. I went on a camping trip with all my friends, and yeah, we were in the woods cuddling with each other. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was pre-COVID. I feel pretty good. Oh, my God. Well, that is pretty good. I'm, I'm so happy for you. It's always... I need to get out of the city. I think when it gets this hot, I... We all need to get out uh, a little bit. It is 97 degrees here in New York today. Um, there have been, obviously, you know, has been reported all the record-breaking temperatures out on the West Coast in the Pacific Northwest. Um, we are, our planet is boiling. Um, so that feels okay. Um, yeah, that's tough. We can review. My boyfriend did the Tonight Show, so I got to go to the Tonight Show. I got to go to Thirty Rock. That was cool. That's awesome. Um, he was uh, Graham K. Look him up. Watch his set. It was very good. Um, yeah. Um, other than that, pretty uneventful week. Uh, but I did just read. A, a breaking news report that Bill Cosby is going to be released from prison after two years and his con- his conviction is being overturned by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. It's so crazy. What is the... Do you know the justification for this? I don't. Um, the only thing... Basically, this was... This is from 30 minutes ago on the Washington Post. It says Bill Cosby will be will be released from prison after the Pennsylvania Supreme Court announced Wednesday that his sexual assault conviction was to be overturned. The entertainer had served more than two years after being convicted of sexual of sexual assault in one of the most high profile trials of the Me Too era. And, and it just says this story will be updated. So uh that fucking sucks and i can't i mean in so many ways it does feel when people talk about the me too movement i'm like what what movement there people still even for the most egregious offenders they're still not facing consequences (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm looking, and I guess there was some sort of process violation, but I don't know. I mean, it definitely seems like a, definitely seems like it's a thing where if you're rich, you don't get in trouble, and if you are not, then you go to prison for a long time for almost nothing a lot of the time, mm-hmm. or sometimes straight up nothing. It's really, really frustrating. Um, yeah, Bill Cosby is, uh, I mean, he, you know, he's admitted to doing a lot of these things straight up. So. And our uh, our pal Ken Klippenstein made this point that he has never once expressed remorse. Mm, gross. And that's, yeah. that's true. That's something that I just didn't think of, but it is true. So... This is very frustrating, and I don't know. I'm I'm feeling, uh, yeah. What a, what a piece of bummer news. I, I I don't know the New York election results too. Also, because I just got oh, back from camping. Okay. I know Eric Adams was in the like lead for mayor, and then that's still. But yeah, yeah. So I don't know like who won and shit. Like I was well, gonna let you tell me honestly. Oh yeah, well it's still being <laughs> because uh, this is the first pilot. Uh, 
incident of ranked choice voting, um, we still technically don't know who won because the with ranked choice voting um, in a city of this of this size, it takes a number of weeks to kind of with the system like pare down the final results. The last poll that I saw on New York One said that like it was very tight between Catherine Garcia and Eric Adams. The, the latest updates had Adams ahead of Garcia, like 52-48. Um, I'm not sure what the current standings are, but... And do we know if any of the DSA candidates won or not yet? We don't know. Um, I do not know. I want to say, I, you know, we had Michael Hollingsworth on our show and i will say that um i i'm i'm not sure about his results yet but i do know that uh real estate companies poured a ton of money into his uh his opponent's bank accounts um yeah uh, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the again um, because it wasn't just mayor that was ranked choice voting. It was uh, all of the uh, the seats that were up for election. So yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure. A confusing little election in the largest city in America. <laughs> <laughs> TBD how this ranked choice voting thing plays out and if it's helpful to us or not but I don't think it will I don't know yeah <laughs> I, it, I mean it's it seems like we won't know like I'm looking at Michael Hollingsworth's Twitter and he said you know we won't know the official results until next month oh my god uh so yeah the suspense is killing me i just am like it's i just am in a really good mood right now and i know that i need to come down from this good mood but like i was offline for like a week and i'm just like i don't care i don't not about politics but i'm just like it just feels so great to not go through the outrage of the day i don't know that's so good <laughs> i i'm so sad that i had to come on here and be like by the way bill cosby's getting out of prison no it's not even is like overturned a uh, lot of times i'm talking about personal like i mean that's obviously you know that's that's newsworthy noteworthy it's terrible but i it would feels really good to just not like with the you know let's just say the, the comedians that let's leave it open-ended i'm not going to name names but some of the comedians that bother me or whatever yeah. <laughs> maybe uh maybe a little right wing here or there i'm, I'm just glad that i yeah, i don't have to know what uh what people are up to you know i don't have to <laughs> yeah no i i completely i realized recently that i am blocked by a few different um comedians just two in particular that i'm thinking of um i don't think a lot of people have me blocked maybe they do i don't know everybody but it's th for very like different reasons one of them clearly blocked me because they thought i was like too lefty and i probably said something like too supportive of bernie sanders and uh the other one blocked me was like is someone who probably considers themselves a, a leftist but like i probably just tweeted something that they deemed too woke so i think that that's fun that i got both i got both sides of the blocked coin yeah i like i love that for you i i'm not gonna say who i have blocked but let's just say you know well i can't say i was trying to, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out make a joke but I don't think I have that many people blocked. I have a I have a fair amount of people muted. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I have, I have a fair amount of people muted. Um, the mute function is beautiful. Yeah, the the block one I only use like if I'm like, no, I don't I don't want you to know what I'm up to. I don't want you to know what I'm up to, at all. It's funny because, okay, so you know, in New York, maybe you know. If I've blocked someone, I've only lived there for four years. It's because something happened in the past four years. But in California, I haven't lived here in so long that, like, 
even anything that ever pissed me off out here has has been like a really long time ago and i was thinking about that when i was like with some of my friends out here you know there's been times like i was there's this one guy that we've been friends for a really long time and i was thinking about the times in our friendship that i got mad at him and it's like not it's i'm not mad anymore it's because it's been a long time and i was thinking will i ever feel that way about the any situation i'm mad at in new york and i decided at this time it's like 9-11 never forget (laughs) (laughs) i can't see that for myself but maybe i don't know i think that's great i think that that's good and healthy and we love that yeah exactly Um, so I'm really excited about the episode that we have for today. I'm sorry my voice is so hoarse. I literally just woke up. But I, I think I it's so cute. It you sound you sound kind of like a little girl who like just woke up from a nap. It's I, really I really can't, I can't do this again. I have to wake up and have a glass of water before I record the podcast. Like, but mommy, Julie's on, the, <laughs> Julie's on the East Coast. It's later there. Um, okay, so <laughs> what we're doing today is we're talking to PE Moskovitz, and they are so smart um we talked about mental health and capitalism and the internet specifically kind of like what what we're talking about right now but they just wrote a really good piece for a business insider about or maybe just insider uh about you know the internet as basically us being required to do free labor and you know even the possibility of uh, influencers unionizing and stuff and they have just you know a really good perspective on it kind of apart from the the typical addiction framework which it definitely also applies to me we talk about that as well um i don't know i know the internet is a horrible horrible place i know that let's say theoretically this was you let's say you julia no let's choose a third person no no make it me let's say you julia (laughs) dated someone for a long time who Mm -hmm. clearly had some sort of fetish of making women mad okay they could be yelled at you know okay i'm there (laughs) say that you did that you should not have to go on the internet and see them trying to get other women to humiliate them. You shouldn't. Yes. <laughs> That's private. I'm just That's private. <laughs> should be upsetting other women in the privacy of their own home. That's insider trading. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm, I'm it's uh it's yeah we're having a fun cookie time out here in california i don't know what's going on my brain is like very <laughs> i'm just happy and i'm not ready to stop being happy and log back on yeah absolutely the happiest i've maybe ever seen you um i'm like not even sure you should come back to new york because <laughs> I need you to stay pure uh, and happy. But, I, I have to come back to New York, though. Do you know why? Because I haven't seen Little Pearl for like nine days. Oh my God, Little Pearl! And I haven't seen Little Albert either. I don't. Albert. I I'm assuming that they're just fine. My roommate is very kindly taking care of them, but I can't leave my babies. You know. No. They're just you know, whatever, man. <laughs> They're so small. Um, There was all these dogs on the camping trip that I was on, and they were just all running around and stuff. And I did give some thought to to how much Albert and Pearl would hate having to go on a camping trip. (laughs) I'll never do that to them, but it was funny to imagine. What if I did? Um, well, before uh, before we get to to Kate's interview, I just want to say thank you so much to all of our Patreon subscribers. And if you haven't subscribed already, we would love to uh, to have you over there. We put out uh, more or less a new episode on uh, for Patreon subscribers only every week. And also, uh, if you could hit us with some new reviews on Apple Podcasts, that would be very helpful. It helps people find the show. Um, as long as it's five stars, you can say about whatever you want about us. You can even the guy who said that my personality was like a wet paper bag. Have at it. Go for it. 
Julia, I'm. I want that. I was thinking about being in California. Can, can, this is related, right? But I was thinking about how the last time I was out here in the Bay Area, Bernie Sanders, I thought was going to be president, mm-hmm. and I also thought that I would never love again. And I just feel so bummed out that neither of those things ended up being true. That was the only. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> <laughs> well, and on that note, a perfect, uh, a perfect way to, to segue into the interview. Um, Kate, uh, safe travels back to New York, and yeah. I'm so glad that you had you had a great, a uh, great week in in California. Me too. Sorry for being a little uh, hoarse right now, and also a little sassy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Little Pearl has been a bad influence on me. (laughs) Little Pearl. Okay, bye. Hello, and welcome back to Reply, guys. I am so excited to be here today with P.E. Moskowitz, who wrote a piece that I really, really loved for Business Insider uh, about a topic that we often discuss on the show, which is that the internet is destroying our brains, uh, as is the title of the piece, but we can't quit. It's a factory we're forced to work in without any pay. PE, this was such a good piece. I loved it. Thank you so much. So, you know, Talk to me about the process of coming to look at it this way. Like, I think a lot of us, you know, particularly a lot of people that listen to the show are, are very online and, um, you know, we're pretty, all pretty uh, bought into the idea that the internet is <laughs> slowly ruining our mental health. But um, what makes it a factory? Yeah. So um, I, you know, write a lot about mental health and I'm also online a lot. Um, I have a, a sub stack on mental health and not to plug myself within the first 20 seconds of the interview, but, <laughs> um, but so I'm thinking constantly about this kind of stuff and just like the intersection of our identities online and mental health and everything. And a lot of the discourse I see um, online about the internet is very kind of like addiction related. Like we're addicted to it. We can't stop. We, you know, we hate it, but um, we feel like pulled towards it, you know, and that just kind of seemed like the wrong metaphor to me because um, it kind of discounts what the internet has actually become, which is, you know, this economic platform, uh, this uh, kind of tool that we all have to use in order to survive, to make money, to socialized to do everything we need to do as humans um and it's kind of all encompassing you know so uh i just started to think about it in ways that that weren't this kind of predominant addiction analogy or metaphor and factory is what i landed on just because it was the most obvious um you know a place you're required to go in order to make money to survive right um and so then i just started doing research into the internet as a factory and came across some really great you know, theory books and just wanted to lay it out in, you know, more layman's terms than a a dense thousand page theory book or whatever. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, just kind of to zoom back a second. Um, I find that, you know, Marxists, socialists, leftists, you know, people who are have materialist politics often have really, really differing opinions uh, about the topic of mental health in particular, like ranging from, yes, you know, we live in a, a bad society that is broken and we're all trying to change it, but we have to take care of our, ourselves, you know, in the meantime, uh, to people who are all the way like, I am not seeing a therapist because Marx never said that I should see a therapist and you know I think um yeah I mean what's your like what's your approach to to kind of thinking about mental health from a materialist lens both in terms of like you know larger social kind of the whole the whole uh whole world or country um versus like you know how, how you deal with that in your own life this is definitely something I'm still grappling with and probably change my opinion about a lot. But, um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of like, oh, you know, Freud was right or Freud was wrong or whatever. And it's, you know, in my opinion, it's like 
Freud and psychoanalysis in general, um, and you know the kind of theory of how we relate to each other and, and the brain as you know this like malleable object. They, that was all right, but limited, right? Like it, it made sense in a limited context of capitalism, of Western, you know, white civilization. Um, and so thinking outside of that, um, you know, you need something like Marx or, you know, other communists and materialists to really see how the economic system, how the entire world system affects uh, your your day-to-day living. Um, but I think I've kind of landed on, on not either or, but both in terms of just like my personal life and how I see it, uh, how I see it like just playing out in, in day-to-day. Like, yeah, you can't ignore your mental health um, you can't um, just get by without thinking about it. I mean, you know, I think if I didn't go to therapy, if I didn't experiment with various drugs, legal and illegal, if I didn't do hashtag self-care stuff, you know, I would be dead by now, right? And yeah, communists don't make very good communists. So, um, so I think you, you really have to take it seriously. Um, but at the same time, you can view it as something that's impacted by capitalism. And I think it's really necessary to view it as something that's impacted by capitalism. I think it's like, to use a word that gets overused a lot, like almost gaslighting the, the kind yeah. of therapy where it's like, oh, this is all just in your head or it's all just about how you're relating to each other or you just have ADHD or whatever, you know, like it's just a symptom of a chemical imbalance. I think that's a kind of form of lying to ourselves where it's like, no, the reason I feel like shit all the time is because of capitalism, because I'm forced to work all the time because my social relations are mediated by these terrible technologies like the corporate owned internet. Um, so it can be both. I can work on my own mental health and I can see it as something that is that only needs to be really worked on because of the shitty, shitty world we live in. Yeah, and you know, I I know that this is kind of in, in some ways not the point of what you're writing, but you know, definitely I I don't think that you that a person has to be uh, too observant to like log on Twitter and be like, this place is not good for people's mental health. <laughs> I I just got back from a week of camping and I was able to log off for the whole week because I didn't have reception and sure. I mean I just felt like. You know, I felt so I felt so much better. Um, I, you know, it was just like really great to not have that sort of constant anxiety and also like, you know, all over the place kind of, you know, dopamine hits and withdrawals of Twitter notifications. And, you know, it's just it's an intense place. Um, and so, you know, I, we'll get into my head for a second. Like, why am I even going on here? This is like, you know, this is like I'm, I'm treating this like a job, but it's a job that like I could theoretically just quit if I wanted to. I don't have to go there. But then, you know, kind of taking it a step further. Oh, no, wait, actually, I do. It is a job that I have to go to, which kind of that that is that sort of lands where uh, where you landed. Um, yes. Let's talk about Internet as as job um, in what what are the mechanisms by which we are forced to do this? Yeah, so I, th- you know, I think you make a great point. Like, especially something like going camping and unplugging, right? Like, and we say that as if it's like a big revelation, which you know it can feel like a big revelation, and it has felt for me too when I've like unplugged. It's like, oh shit, I feel so much better. But then it's like you feel better when you take a vacation from a job too, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter if that job is like in an office or on the internet or whatever. Um, so I think it's kind of the same thing. Um, but I mean, in terms of like how we work on the internet, if there if it's people like me who works in writing and you know the the media industry or you um, who also works in media industry or someone like that. I mean, it's a very direct correlation, right? Um, where the more you're online, the more you can make money, essentially. Um, the more I have t- Twitter followers, the more people who subscribe to my things, the more people will buy my stuff. And like, I don't think about posting or whatever as like, oh, I'm making money right now. But it's a sad truth that, you know, if I am trying to get a book deal, they will care how many Twitter followers I have. They will care what kind of following I have. Um, And that's just how it works. Um, But even people who aren't so, you know, directly connected to work through the internet, 
um, you still are making connections through the internet. You're still on LinkedIn, you know, trying to network, even if you're uh, just doing like social interaction through something like Facebook or Twitter. Um, it's still a kind of required place to be because other forms of socializing don't exist as much anymore, right? So take an example of like Grinder, right? Um, like or Tinder or whatever. All these things have kind of replaced. Uh, former methods that, um, that we've used to to meet each other and uh, share our lives with each other. So I don't really know if there's a way to be off the internet at this point. And I think for the people who can successfully do it, it often requires a very unique life that isn't really available to everyone. People who have yeah. a lot of free time or a lot of uh, like money or things like that. I mean, if you're working a job, a non-internet job, 60 hours a week, how else are you supposed to make friends or uh, find entertainment or feel like you know your life has meaning beyond your job without the internet at this point? So I do feel like it's a requirement and we should start seeing it as one. Yeah, so, you know, obviously we don't live in utopia, but, you know, let's say we ever do, what is our relationship with the internet in utopia um like or or is there a relationship with the internet in utopia yeah that that's such a hard question to answer because i'm not sure the internet would exist in utopia or i'm, I'm not- with you i'm with you <laughs> yeah. i mean i i think that maybe some for some kind of internet would exist in utopia who knows but I want, you know, one of the important things in my piece, there's, there's a great book that I reference, um, Surveillance Valley, which is like a military history of the internet and this technology that we've all been sold as kind of, uh, sold on as the kind of like liberatory or, you know, somehow really interesting and entertaining and an exciting place was basically like a mass surveillance system from the get go. Um, and then as soon as the military, uh, privatized it, it was handed over to, um, some very, very like evil libertarian people who just were trying to make a bunch of money off of us. Right. So any, any liberatory effect of the internet has kind of been a side effect, not the purpose of the internet, any kind of like fun we're having on here is not because of how the internet is designed. It's, kind of just, um, yeah, a, a side effect of how it was designed as a surveillance system. So in the future, theoretically, there could be some network that connected us all that, uh, you know, could be good for us. But I think we would, we would. it's kind of like imagining what guns would look like in the future or something, right? Like, yeah. or, or weapons in general, like, is there a place for self-defense in our future? Yes, but as things have been conceptualized now, the reason they exist is to essentially like commit war, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't know how to reconceptualize that. Yeah, I, you know, I think a lot about. I mean, I'm a millennial. I had a life before being online all the time. You know, I'm in my 30s, and I like I can remember being a child, and we had AOL and shit, but like it wasn't just kind of a constant online thing and you know i I definitely part of me feels like when i want to talk about like you know how the internet is destroying our brains or something that it is you know it it sounds like boomer ass shit (laughs) to say that sometimes (laughs) um like but you know at the same time as you pointed out in your article you know a lot of these effects are really well documented um it is decreasing our attention span is making people more unhappy, uh, more anxious, more lonely, more isolated, making us feel really, you know, worse about ourselves. And there's, you know, more and more research about this, uh, documentaries, books, you know, but at the same time, it seems like we are only ever going in the direction of more online. Like it's, it's not, you know, it's not ever decreasing, at least for, at least for most of us. Um, yeah. Is there anything that we can do about that in like, you know, uh, the inter intermediate time? Yeah. I mean, I think a couple of things, I mean, I think you're right. It can kind of sound like, you know, some boomer, you know, saying the internet is just terrible, but I think the reason it sounds like a, a boomer proverb or whatever is because for younger people, it's not that they like the internet. It's a, it feels inevitable. It's like saying like, 
you know, food is ruining our world or something or saying, yeah, totally. uh, You know, as you know, or just kind of like as eye rolly as just being like, I don't know, like, oh, we should abolish all fast food, which like we probably should abolish all fast food. But like saying that is almost like a vapid statement. Like, is there a political movement to abolish all fast food that like you're a part of if you're saying something like that? So like, I think saying abolish the internet or get off the internet can just kind of feel like, what are you even talking about? Um, Which is why I wanted to rephrase it as like, this is not just about our own individual choices. It's about like, in the same way a factory would be, we have to get together to conceptualize ways to make this better for us right so um so in terms of what we can do in the uh intermediate term i mean i think i really think like people like influencers should be unionizing first of all i think that all people who work in media should be um trying to unionize um i think that uh we should be really pushing strongly for anti-monopoly laws uh to break up uh, places like Facebook and Google and Amazon. Um, and I think we should have much stricter laws um, that were kind of in the beginnings of in places like Europe that take your privacy much more seriously, that prevent apps from tracking you, from uh, that prevent certain kinds of advertising. Um, I mean, there was, there was just the story in the New York Times about the way ads are sold to us is basically like an unregulated stock market within the first, like the few milliseconds it takes to display an ad on a web page. Like, there's millions of transactions going on, but unlike the stock market, it's completely not regulated at all. And the bidding process is just completely opaque to our government, right? So there are all these things we could be doing to make, make the internet a less psychotic place. Yeah. Um, but, but as of now, they almost all feel like non-starters just because we're all so overwhelmed by it. But yeah, I mean, break. I think the first and biggest thing to do to make the internet better would be to break it up, like to break up the large corporations that account for, for, you know, 70% of it's all its ad revenue and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's really, uh, I, I love this idea of paying users for content, but it seems so like it seems so far from from where we are or even from what, what I'm hearing people talk about. You mentioned um, Laurel Patak, who created a manifesto called Wages for Facebook. Um, you just talked right now about unionizers influencing. Like, what does the movement look like um, to pay people for their labor online, potentially? And like, how, how could that potentially emerge over the next few years? I think that remains to be seen. I think it does feel very conceptual right now, although I think that that's changing. Like when you look at things like Defector from like the former uh, Gawker media people, things like that, where, you know, people are coming up with these collective ways of creating content um, and uh, and being paid for that content. Like that to me is important. Um, I think also just like the general trend of unionizing in the media industry is is a good sign um, that people who create online content are taking these labor issues seriously. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, will TikTok influencers ever unionize? I have no clue. But I think you know, like, not that I think I'm the same as like Rosa Luxemburg in like a German factory telling. People. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, I do think like probably when people like that were speaking, you know, like yelling about the factory being a terrible place people were rolling their eyes at them too right so like again not comparing myself to the revolutionaries of unionization in the 1800s but um but i think like it, it's going to take us a while to get used to this idea that this is something we actually do have power over in the same way that it took us a while to get used to the idea that like we had power over the factory and power over our bosses and all of that Yeah. One thing that I think about a lot is, you know, just like the, the benefit that I think we, as in like we collectively as a society think that we get from online is very different from what we actually get from it. I mean, there's sort of like a parallel to like the democratic party where people are like, Oh yeah, you know, this is good. This is the party that cares about people. And with the internet, it's like, Oh, you know, like this is the place where we can like meet potential romantic partners or connect with our friends. But then if you look at the amount of connection that's actually happening, people feel more isolated. Um, very, very, very few people are ending up in relationships from 
online dating. Like it's yeah. over overwhelmingly a failure, right? And so uh, it feels like there is, you know, some sort of uh, part of the uphill battle potentially is like convincing people to to look at the situation honestly. Like what you know, what is this actually doing to us? <laughs> you know, is it is it what we think it is? You know, and yeah. um, it feels like we're in a process of of reckoning. Um, with what that is, I, you know, I don't, yeah, yeah I, guess I, I don't really that, know what else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's a great point. And I think it applies, you know, so much to the internet, which, um, in many ways, like is like a lottery. I mean, the way it's designed is, you know, by psychologists who work for these massive corporations to make it as addictive as possible. So in the same way that the people gamble at a slot machine, even though they theoretically know they're going to lose, we're doing the same thing on the internet all the time. Um, often it's designed by like literally the same people um, and, uh, you know, psychological advertising corporations and things. So, um, but I think that also just applies to like capitalism in general, right? Like, even though we all know, and probably most people listening to this podcast know that the American dream is bullshit, right? Convincing most Americans that like America is not a good country <laughs> morally, or that like, uh, the American dream doesn't exist for the vast majority of people. Like that's a really, really, really hard battle that's been going on for like decades, right? So like, yeah. and the American dream is like a gamble too, right? Like we're all throwing away our lives into work so that like five of us can succeed at it. Um, so I think this mentality applies to so many things beyond just the internet. It's like kind of the modus operandi of of this country in a way, like, we're all gambling that if we just work really hard, if we just ignore all the negative impacts of things that are being done to us, eventually things will get better. Um, but more and more people are realizing, wait, maybe that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I don't know. It's really sad and frustrating. Um, you know, I'm a comedian. I'm pretty online. Most people I know are pretty online. I know, I know that's true for you too, because I see you on there. Um, we're both, it's like, uh, you know, I, and I think, you know, a lot of people who are, who are socialists, like, you know, Twitter, for example, is like one of the main places that we connect with each other. Um, yeah. you know, and th there's a benefit to that, but like, I have seen people straight up, you know, really, hurt their lives in the way that, you know, a substance addiction might, mm -hmm. you know, present itself, like people really damaging their relationships, experiencing huge emotional and financial consequences and, you know, like, like really serious stuff that's not funny at all. Um, yes. You know, uh, I was listening to um, Gabor Mate, who what you know who is uh, an addiction and, and trauma researcher and uh is is the dad i think of aaron mate who is a cool leftist person but you know, he was talking about the internet as a a process addiction you know sort of like you know sex or food where you know it's not a substance but you know in in sex or food you know for example like people who have a, a hard time with that stuff like i mean we need to eat Right. Like there's just no choice, you know, and with with sex, like most people would agree that, you know, life, a lifetime of, of celibacy would not be uh, would not be, you know, a, a sustainable choice. But with the Internet, it is this thing where like it, it has in some ways become like something that is like sex or food where like you, you actually can't really stop, even if you are um even if you are, you know, addicted to it in a way that like is, is creating major, major consequences. It, it can't right. be one of those things like alcohol where you're just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be abstinent, you know, because there's just, there's so, so many economic reasons to be online. Right. Right. I mean, and I think like any, I mean, not to contradict myself with the, the addiction thing, because I do think in some ways it is a helpful way of looking at it. And I do think people can be addicted to it as they are addicted to work, as they are addicted to so many things that aren't substances. But like the answer as it is with any addiction, if it is an addiction is like not only abstinence, right? Because we know scientifically that just saying like, just stop using X, Y, or Z is not the way most people end up being successful at um, at stopping something. Yeah. So, and especially when, it, when you need it for work, when you need it for socializing. But I think one of the other things about it that makes it so hard is that like it breaks down all our boundaries you know like if we're if i was addicted to partying and going out every night 
people would notice me at the bar and be like, hey, like maybe this isn't great, right? But the way the internet works, it's just kind of always there and it's normal for you to always be on it to not have boundaries with it. Um, and I think, you know, that's especially true now when people are working from home and the way the way it was like kind of framed to us, like, oh, like now you have the freedom to work from home or it's like, or where our boundaries just violated where work, thankfully, always was kept outside of my house and now yeah. has been brought inside my house against my consent, you know? So it's like, the, the lack of boundaries we have with this massive, addictive, terrible, often terrible, sometimes good, but often terrible technology is just, um, it's, it's a huge problem. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, th I, I feel like, like for myself, I feel like it's not, not mutually exclusive to, you know, think about the internet, you know, as, as addiction and also mm -hmm. as, as a labor issue. I mean, I think it's just, I don't know. It really, it really depends. But I mean, I to myself, like, you know, I'm just, I just know a lot of people who have, you know, issues with various uh, addictions, including myself. And mm -hmm. uh, I just feel like the internet is this one that like, it just kind of, it just kind of goes by like, sort of like, unchecked, as you were saying, you know, um, and like, Man, I don't know. I just, I just can't emphasize enough that I, I've seen people like really hurt themselves with, yeah. with online, and like I think I think we all have, you know. I mean, it's um, I feel like it's a thing that happens every once in a while. Not not even every once in a while. Like it's pretty frequent. Well, like you you know, we'll see somebody like full on having what appears to be a mental crisis online, and you know posting through it as they say and it's just i don't know it's like it's really strange that as a society we're now at the point of like yeah that's that's what happens like that's what's you know normal instead of like right. you know exhibiting some some care for that person you know right. um right. because yeah you can't just you know typically in, in most kind of you know traditional social situations you can't just like start shooting up you know so right. without um <laughs> someone mentioning to you that they're concerned um right. i was i wanted to return to uh to your article for a minute um you were talking about uh another major consequence of the internet um is uh how it has enabled the so-called gig economy um which you know anyone who's listening to this show is probably um you know, not not landing on the side of that, uh, like Uber and Instacart is providing amazing freedom for people. Um, yeah, I mean, th this, you know, the gig economy has just just been so, so exploitative, and in many cases, a way to pay people like way less than than minimum wage. Um, if unchecked, how do you see the internet enabling, you know, potentially even more uh, exploitation of workers in the future. I mean, I think one of the reasons the internet has become so, uh, popular, you know, not popular in terms of like, we all love it, but popular in terms of so much, uh, investment in its infrastructure, so much money behind it is because of how, because of how good it is at, uh, kind of destroying labor, right? Like, yeah. A lot of these companies like Uber are essentially like elaborate schemes to just like avoid labor law, right? So, um, and you know, when you think, when you see, you know, tech people investing in, in, in coding schools and things like that, like that's not just out of the goodness of their heart, it's because it, it drives down labor costs to have more coders, right? So something the internet is very good at is, is minimizing labor costs, essentially. And I think that's why there's such heavy capitalist investment in it. So I think we're just going to inevitably see more and more and more of that happening. We already have it. We've seen it happen to the journalism industry. We've seen it happening to the livery cab industry. We've seen it happen to, to really so many industries. Now it's going to probably happen to the education industry, right? Like where there used to be professors for every class, and now they're trying to kind of explode that so that you can teach a thousand people at once. And um, it, it's just a way to kind of drive down labor costs as much as possible. So I think the gig economy, like the most obvious parts that we see, like Uber or Instacart or whatever, are just kind of uh, canaries in the coal mine or whatever for how 
most things are in a go now um, in terms of trying to break down labor to its, its cheapest cost possible through the internet. It is, it's definitely not good. Um, you know, speaking about, you know, earlier speaking about like organizing potentially influencers, I was thinking about, you know, how much harder it is to organize when everyone's working remotely in general. Not that I'm not a fan of remote work. Like I definitely think that people should not have to fucking commute to their office for shit that's unnecessary, but it is just, it is an obstacle to, you know, to, to organize when you can't, you know, get to know people and everything is online and you know like there's a you know, potentially even a, a written record of like any conversations about about yeah. organizing it's just man i don't know um okay so want to make sure that yeah. uh, i asked you about everything that i wanted to ask you about um so is there you know there's a lot of things that you know we've talked about that like i think you know a lot of people are becoming conscious of um but like are there any harms of our current relationship with the internet that you feel like people should be focusing more on that don't get talked about as much the biggest harms i think are the kind of i i mean this sounds so obvious but i see it more and more every day the kind of dehumanization that's caused by the internet and i think that you know, when you see people like posting through it, as you were talking about, right? That that's one form of the dehumanization where every everyone is turned into kind of content, right? So it's you're not seeing real people, but whether you notice it or not, I think what's happening is you don't really feel like you're seeing real people like struggling. You're seeing kind of like content struggling, right? Yeah. Um, and I think the same thing happens when like you see people piling on each other online or like telling people to kill themselves because they disagree with each other and things like that. Like what's happening is uh, we're kind of being goaded into this dehumanization of each other where we don't see each other as real people anymore, but we see each other as like creators of entertainment and content for each other that like jives with our algorithmic timelines or does it. Um, and so to me, that's really scary um, just in terms of how through this technology we can see each other as as less than and um, and yeah I think I think that's just something you know I mean I think obviously like the gig economy I think is probably the biggest labor thing that we need to address but just in terms of the general technology of the internet um, beyond just the labor component I think what's really scary and what we haven't fully internalized is how dehumanizing it is to be on to how, how it forces you to treat other people. And it's just something that like once you start to realize it feels really, really powerful in a terrible way and uh, really scary. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely in agreement. Um, yeah, and you know, again, I, I feel like I'm like a, a boomer with, with some of this stuff, but just even like, I think it, you know, it has a profound effect on our psychology, like, you know, for example, that the, the main way um, that I think people plan on meeting romantic or sexual partners, like is is just online. And like, you know, the world's a superficial place anyway, but just, you know, for example, to, you know, for people to be sort of judged entirely on physical appearance, like without right. any, you know, without any like, hey, let's, you know, check out the vibes. <laughs> let's see, see if this person makes me laugh, you know, like, at, at least at first. And I, I think you know, I think that this stuff like is is legitimately more depressing to us as a, as individuals and as a society than, than we realize it's you know it's yeah yeah I'm not a luddite or anything I'm online all the time but I don't oh, yeah. think it's good so um, yeah I'm not, I'm not a luddite but maybe I should become one in like the traditional sense of like actually throwing things into machines to break them or something like I don't yeah. know what the equivalent is with the internet like being a hacker or something but I don't think that's that would be a bad idea <laughs> um so okay I wanted to switch gears for a second to ask you about something you know from uh actually like a, a long a longer time ago a previous work of yours um a lot of people who are fans of this podcast are, are fans of comedy and you know, are very uh, mired in some ways in the debate about like free speech and cancel culture. And you've had a take on that that I, I actually haven't seen anyone else have, which is that um, free speech 
doesn't actually exist in most situations, if I'm getting that right. Um, tell us more about that. <laughs> yeah, so a few years ago, uh, I wrote a book called The Case Against Free Speech. And as I say in the book, it doesn't mean I'm against people speaking, but I'm against the concept of the idea of free speech. And I think it's more of a propaganda tool used by the US government than it is like an actual existing thing. And if we just think about, you know, the most basic example is like private property relations, right? I can't walk into your house and start yelling at you if you didn't invite me in there, right? I could be arrested for that. So there is a huge limit on free speech right there, right? So we don't have universal free speech right there, but we think that's a good thing because we don't want people to be able to walk into our houses and start yelling at us, right? So we've already accepted one inborn limitation on freedom of speech right there, right? Um, should your doctor be able to tell you uh, that you can cure your cancer with like a B vitamin pill without consequence? No, we think we should have, you know, liability laws or medical malpractice law for that, right? So that doctor doesn't have free speech. In every single scenario that we think we have unlimited free speech, we've already limited, uh, limited it in so many, so many ways. And we only get angry at the ways we've limited it in these very particular contexts that I think we've kind of been goaded into thinking are really important. Um, like when a really controversial, you know, fascia adjacent person wants to say something terrible, and then all of a sudden we stick up for, for free speech, right? So my argument is not that, you know, we should all be trying to cancel each other all the time or anything like that. And I do think, you know, and my thinking has evolved on this since I wrote the book. I do think like quote unquote cancel culture is a real thing. I think it's completely unrelated to free speech as like a legal concept, but I do think it, it's mostly about the dehumanization that happens on the internet where we all just kind of pile on each other. So I think that can be real at the same time that we can realize that free speech is not a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I agree with you. And I, I was just I, at the same time you said that I was thinking about when you mentioned like, you know, the dehumanization and, you know, like I, I'm in comedy. I've seen a lot of people get, you know, what some folks would call canceled for a, a tweet. Like, you know, sometimes things that were like legitimately shitty, you know, and sometimes okay. things that it was like, clearly the person did not intend that as as it's being interpreted by by folks who are, you know, who probably have some kind of agenda, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is kind of a wild, a wild consequence of the Internet is that like, you know, things can just kind of can kind of turn on on you to like the point of like social ostracization and job loss, like you know, sort exactly. of immediately in some cases, you know, not for yeah. powerful people. But yeah. Right. And then, but I do think one of the the biggest components missing from this whole debate is the question of power, because I think we flatten this whole discourse so that like someone like, you know, a former president getting booed at on a college campus becomes the same thing as someone's life getting ruined for like saying something homophobic 10 years ago on the internet, you know, like yeah. uh, those are two very different things. One of those people has like the power to like, create wars and one of those people is just trying to survive and we conflated those as like they're both cancel culture or they're both infringements on free speech to not let these people speak right and so i think if we want to have a actual conversation about this stuff we have to let power enter the picture and it's like who has the power to cancel who doesn't who is getting canceled and who isn't and when is it good to cancel Someone. because if cancel culture is real maybe it can be effective like i want to cancel george bush or Miley Yiannopoulos or whatever like i hope yeah. they canceled right so i don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution to any of this but the way we talk about it we just make everything seem like it's the same yeah and i think that you know like I, I, I get in a lot of dumb debates and sometimes smart ones, but mostly dumb ones about cancel culture with, you know, people that are you know, comedians and stuff because it's, you know, it's on people's minds. But, you know, one thing that I think is just really, um, I think when people talk about cancel culture and like the thing that I people mean a bajillion different things 
by that. But, you know, I think that like a lot of the time what people mean is like a an internet pile on that like will you know even in some cases extend beyond the internet of like right. you know people say something dumb online or have been outed as doing something dumb in the past and then you know people just really you know post about it a lot quote tweet that person a lot and you know maybe like try to get them fired or banned from things or whatever um you know a lot of it you know when people talk about like how we could address it or not like you know particularly in situations where it feels you know perhaps more extreme than than like a reasonable person would think is like really you know appropriate like someone just you know saying something dumb you know 10 years ago and then their whole life since then has like not been like that it doesn't seem to me like there's any way to kind of get rid of that perhaps like (laughs) mean-spiritedness that that can drive that um or like lack of i don't know proportionality um without like just fundamentally addressing our our relationship with like social media in general you know yeah yeah and i think it's i mean i think it's definitely because of the internet but i think it now extends beyond it too where there is this general flattening um uh and like lack of uh perspective or proportionality or whatever like um i don't know i always give the example of like back in the day if there was like a reading group in your neighborhood that was like all i don't know trump fans come let's not use trump because you might even protest that but whatever all something you disagree with right all uh all fans of you know controversial uh insult comedy that you know uses bigoted words like come to this show right usually you would just not buy tickets to the show right but because of the internet we see it all all the time and we feel required to react to it in some way to kind of like prove that we're against it so we've we've all kind of been pushed into the same room together and it turns out like we don't really like each other yeah i think we should just accept not liking each other right like i don't want to buy the proverbial tickets to the conservative comedy show anymore, right? I will just simply ignore those things when I see them online because they're not meant for me and I don't care about them. But it's so easy to kind of forget that, again, it's about this boundary thing that the internet does where we always feel like required to be on it, where we always feel like it's invaded our space and we have to do something about it. And I just think we can just say like, no, and be like, this is not my problem. Like, I'm choosing my battles. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that the, the flip side to, to what you're saying, um, is also that, you know, the internet has really trained us to feel like having an opinion and expressing it is doing something, you know, and a lot of times it's not doing anything. Like, I mean, you know, during the, uh, the not long ago Trump era, I mean, like we all saw there's, you know, people just go online every day and, tweet that trump is really bad you know like that was doing anything you know that's like that was like a type of act you know activism is just to like you know express like displeasure you know and it's like it's not i don't know maybe it's you know maybe it's uh maybe it's not harmful you know when someone really 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 fucking sucks you know like donald trump to to say so but you know it's definitely not like making a material difference in anyone's life it's definitely not you know getting the um kids out of cages you know um and so yeah i don't know i think that i mean again i'm just like sounding like a boomer but you know i remember that like i think that you know when i was little and stuff like i I would hear i think people you know sort of talking about like activism as having to to be an actual like thing that you you did in real life you know whether it was like you know some type of direct action or you know volunteering um in you know in some way you know and now i i think that that's kind of like i mean obviously there's a lot of people still still doing that and we know a lot of them but like i i think that there's just like a, a huge proportion of people that that think that they're doing like way more than they are because they're expending uh, so much emotional energy going on and getting uh, upset every day. Right. And I think this goes to like another consequence of the internet, which we haven't really fleshed out, which is that like 
the, the kind of identity based aspect of it, which, you know, and now, now this is when I'm going to get canceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm okay. Let me preface by saying that I'm trans, <laughs> but I once joked on Twitter, like maybe being trans should be more like being Jewish where you have to like convert and prove you really want to do it before you like get to call yourself trans or something. Um, and like, of course I got immediately piled on for that, um, which whatever, maybe I deserve. But my point was that like, you know, verb, it's what you do or whatever that advertisement used to be. Right. Like, it's like, this should be something that you do right as a trans person. Like I support materially my trans community. I know other trans people. I take trans politics really seriously. All of that makes me trans. And what the internet has done is made you feel like you can just kind of pick and choose, like you're checking a box at a doctor's office, all these various identities, right? So trans is like a, you know, a big and a very serious one, but all these like very small ones too, like, you know, like, I don't know, yeah, uh, you know, politics lover or uh, progressive or whatever, you know, all, all of these things where we just kind of think this is my identity now because I say so online. And I don't know if there's anything inherently wrong with that, but I think what we've convinced ourselves of, as you were saying, is that like, that's enough. That to just say it is enough. And I don't think that's true. I don't like, to be frank, I don't think just saying you're trans is enough. Like I think if you're trans then you have a responsibility to like other trans people. And if you're, you call yourself a Donald Trump hater, then you have a responsibility to like donate to causes that, you know, are fighting Donald Trump and going to activist meetings and things like that. So the kind of way it's enabled us to just kind of use our identity as a smokescreen for inaction <laughs> um, is really uh, scary to me. I completely agree with you, um, you know, uh, that like, you know, especially you know for like political identities, like I totally agree with you that, that, you know, you should have to do something. The part that I think like gets missed a lot in this discussion um, in general is that to me it really makes sense that people do feel like they're doing something by posting all day because it takes a lot of emotional energy their mind is consumed with it all the time they're ruining their relationships like you know there's definitely a lot of consequences for it in their own life and you know like they're they're paying the price as if they were doing activism but right. nothing is actually happening you know and i think that i mean that's I don't know what the solution is there, but you know, it's, um, <laughs> it's definitely worth looking at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I don't know what the solution is either, except that like, again, I think it's a question of like power. Like people don't understand that what's the problem, what the pro main problem is in society is like structures, right? If you're a materialist, it's like the structure of how society is set up and that like posting will not solve that. Is there a such thing as like online activism? Yes. But like, there's a difference between like posting and using the internet to gather people together to unionize, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's totally. Not, it's not that the internet there is bad. It's that the idea that that saying something is the same thing as as performing concrete actions that challenge the systems that oppress us. You know. I 100% agree with you. Um, PE, this has been such an awesome conversation. And I would love to know, and our listeners would love to know where to find more of your work. Uh, on my Twitter. <laughs> you yeah. can usually find links to everything. But my big thing right now is uh, mental health, which is spelled mental and then hell, like the place you go if you're bad. So mental health, H-E-L-L-T-H. .xyz, which is a Substack, um, and I post there a lot about how the world is ruining our brands. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, this has been really great, and um, I hope you come back. This is awesome. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Reply Guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians, with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Framgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O H Julia Tweets. 
And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They're always with us. Bernie, take us out. As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is mine.